The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. I always say it, I always mean it, and we believe it's perfectly true. What is the buzz today? Well, here's a clue. We're talking about smart cities on this series. Of course we are. Here's a quote from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Say what you will about him. He is the 38th governor of California. We'll just leave it at that. Here's the quote. Government's first duty and highest obligation is public safety. Ah, let's just let that sink in for a second. So let's get a perspective here. With 70% of the world's population projected to live in cities by 2050, now here we are 2017, it's not that far away, kids. Public safety has to be top of mind for civic leaders, for residents, for service providers, workers, visitors, anybody who goes to or works around, visits, lives in those cities. Well, we already have GPS crime monitor, GPS track crime monitoring devices. You know that. We have video surveillance. Come on, you see it on TV, on the news. You see it on crime shows like NCIS and CSI. We have gunshot recorders. We have license plate scanners. And they're capturing data. Yes, as fast as I'm talking, gazillions of terabytes and petabytes of data is being captured. But it's often kept in silos. The data is not talking to other data. So what has to happen to make this really effective? We need the data to leave those silos and get blended together in real time on a map. What a thought. Why? Well, think about this. What if a first responder could correlate a license plate that was scanned with an incident that's happening at, the, at exactly that moment or a, a terasecond, a nanosecond later? They can reposition some surveillance cameras to view suspects in the act or fleeing a crime scene. They can send first responders to the site and get everything all wrapped up quickly before anybody gets hurt or anything major gets stolen. Oh, my goodness. Predicting, preventing crime instead of simply reacting to it. So the question today on the table is, how safe is your city neighborhood? Well, we want all of you to think about that. And I'm going to introduce you now to a very interesting panel. They're all thought leaders and experts on this topic. We are going to learn so much from them about public safety in smart cities. In just a moment, we'll be speaking with Justin Bean. He's the director of Smart City Solutions Marketing at Hitachi Insight Group. And a shout out to all of our friends at Hitachi Insight. And welcoming also to the panel, another newcomer is Dr. Allison Brooks. She's a research director of Smart Cities and Public Safety at IDC, and also a shout out to all of our good friends at IDC. 
And rounding out the panel is James Alfano. He's a global lead solutions expert for public security and intelligence. That's an interesting way of putting it at SAP. And of course, a shout out to our series sponsor who is not joining us today, Marlon Zelkowitz at SAP. I know she's listening. So let's circle around the table to Justin Bean. And he has sent us a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I think we recently celebrated a holiday in his honor. He was an American Baptist minister and activist who was a leader in the civil rights movement, and he won the Nobel Peace Prize for combating racial inequality through nonviolent resistance way back in 1964. We'll just leave it at that. Here's the quote. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied together in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Justin Bean at Hitachi Insight Group, welcome to Game Changers. How are you, Justin? Great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on the show this morning. We are delighted. I love the quote. There's so much in here. We've got injustice and justice. We've got a network of mutuality. Why don't you relate that specifically to our topic today of public safety? Go ahead, Justin. Sure. Uh, So the reason I chose this quote and the reason it spoke to me for this panel in particular uh, is the fact that all of these things within smart cities are all related uh, and they all impact each other. You can't have a thriving, convenient city without it being safe. And on the other side, you can't have a safe city without having the opportunities uh, and the justice that you need in a city to make people feel comfortable and and help them live the lives that they need to live uh, and that they want to live. Uh, and so that's, that's how it speaks to me. Um, so we tackle, we tackle public safety by tackling a lot of other social issues and vice versa. We tackle uh, a lot of other social issues by making the foundation of a smart city that it is safe and it's a comfortable place to live. Very interesting. And, and safety, did you agree with my quote from uh, the former governor of California, 38th Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, that public safety is government's first duty and highest obligation? And do you think government gets that today, Justin, or is that something we need to turn around and look at our elected officials and say, damn it, you got to help us out here? What do you think? Actually, I think a lot of governments do get it. They understand that public safety is the foundational requirement for a thriving society. It's kind of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? It's something that if you have it, you don't really notice. But when it's gone, you miss it really quickly. Uh, And and so cities know that this is really important. But I think uh, what they're trying to figure out is how to do a better job at it and how to do it cost effectively. Uh, And and we need to, as citizens and uh, stakeholders, to have a uh, collaborative conversation with our elected leaders and with our governments to help them figure out the right way of doing this and what the needs are. Thank you very much, Justin. Pleasure to have you on the show. And now let's turn to our second panelist. She is Dr. Allison Brooks. She told me I can drop the Allison. I'll keep the Allison and drop the doctor after a while. So she'll just be Allison Brooks, one Ellen Allison. And Allison has sent us a quote from Saul Alinsky. Anybody saying who? Saul David Alinsky, A-L-I-N-S-K-Y, lived from 1909 to 1972. He was an American community organizer and writer, considered the founder of modern community 
Party organizing, often noted for his 1971 book, Rules for Radicals. I think a lot of people should have probably already read that today. And he wrote in uh, Time Magazine, Time Magazine wrote about him in 1970, it is not too much to argue that American democracy is being altered by Saul Alinsky's ideas. Very interesting. William Buckley called him very close to being an organizational genius. And here is the quote from Saul Alinsky. Last guys don't finish nice. <laughs> Allison, <laughs> welcome. I, every time I say that, I want to say, wait a minute, it's supposed to be inside out and backwards. Allison Brooks, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? Thanks, Bonnie. I'm great. Thank you for joining us. Tell me, are you a big fan? And, and is uh, in, in your work as Research Director of Smart Cities and Public Safety at IDC, do you uh, hold up Alinsky as a guru, as somebody who was doing this so long ago? What do you think? A little bit, but mostly I just I, I am a fan of the snarky reworkings of trite phrases, and that's why I chose this particularly, because I thought it was just such a, a perfect quote for you know life in the 21st century. Um, in the public safety context, though, it speaks to that need for speed, you know, response, connecting the dots, that CSI culture that you were referring to earlier, mm-hmm. and, and how we really need to have all of the most relevant pieces of information. And if you get those too late, it can lead to something really terribly happening. That's the sort of like the not nice part of the equation. So that's, that's why I picked it for, for the quote. And the last piece I just wanted to highlight was this, um, it clearly points to the shortfallings of men there with that, guys, this would never happen to women. <laughs> ah, interesting. <laughs> now, of course not. Tell me something. Last guys don't finish nice. Who is the nice or not nice in this equation? Is it the person who says, we need more cameras? Is it the person who says we need more technology to make our city smart about public safety? Who is it who was or should be or is being nice because they're not being nice? I'm, I'm turning this on its head a little bit around its ear, if you will. Allison, who, who are the last guys and who is the nice? Who's nice today? You know, I think it's, it's mainly um, pointing to the, the this, this notion of law enforcement and not wanting to be the guys that are, you know, without the right piece of information or last, you know, uh, delayed to the scene or, you know, solving the crime in a timely manner. And I think, you know, you, you saw a little bit of that with the Boston Marathon bombings that where basically, you're, you know, you're going forward and knitting the scene, you know, frame by frame together. And it's that um, the diminished elapsed uh, time between one event to another that allows you to actually catch up to the bad guy um, and the not nice guys um, quicker than you were before. And that's what I think we're pointing at in this, in this, with this quote. And that's what I think we're talking about when we're talking about the digital transformation of, of policing and law enforcement and public safety more broadly. So for me, it's the, um, the, uh, the, the, the last guys are the ones that are sort of operating in that sort of prehistoric way of, of, of uh, conducting police work or public safety. A lot of cultural uh, <laughs> allusions in there. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Allison. Pleasure to meet you. And let's get James Alfano on now. He's Global Lead Solutions Expert for Public Security and Intelligence. I like that, Public Security and Intelligence, and I'm wondering whether we should rename that Public Intelligence and put a question mark at SAP. And James has sent us a quote from the venerable Vince Lombardi. Vincent Thomas Vince Lombardi, 1913 to 1970. So he was a compatriot of a Ski's 1909 to 1972, kind of, sort of. Uh, he was an American football player, a coach, and an executive in the NFL. Head of the Green Bay Packers during the 60s, led the team to three straight and five total NFL championships in seven years, and won the first two Super Bowls following the 66 and 67 seasons, and the trophy is named in his honor. Aha! Uh-huh. Here is the quote James has selected from Vince Lombardi. 
we would accomplish many more things if we did not think of them as impossible. James, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? Good morning. Thank you for inviting me, Bonnie. I'm doing well, thank you. <clears throat> we are delighted to have you. So, are, are you a big NFL fan? I have to ask that. Are you? Do you uh, reserve a special place on your calendar for the Super Bowl every year, or how close do you follow? Well, it's kind of interesting. You know, I do like the NFL, and I am a, an avid uh, Patriot fan coming here from Boston. But in general, um, I grew up in a football family, and Vince Lombardi quotes were part of the morning breakfast conversation uh, for motivation where required. Uh, and I, in my house, football is number one. Isn't that, you know, I did not know that about you. We didn't talk about this in our chat recently, our, our introductory prep call, and I just thought I would ask you, absolutely fascinating. So talk to me about the quote, we would accomplish many more things if we didn't think of them as impossible. Was impossible a word not in Vince Lombardi's vocabulary and in your family's breakfast conversation? We never said impossible. We always said um, something like, you have to give it more effort, you have to make an attempt, um, you have to look at things from a more simplistic standpoint. Uh, impossible was definitely not uh, one of the words in the family. Um, you, you can't think of things this way. Uh, when we look about public safety or public security uh, in and around cities and around um, large urban areas, uh, we have to give consideration to the fact that although there are large challenges that we have to take on, they're not impossible. There are ways to take the time to make the planning to create simple solutions for big problems. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Uh, do you think that this kind of mentality or this mantra, James, if this was in the, the cover, the subtitle of a handbook for civic leaders planning public safety, if we didn't think of them as impossible, do you think this would motivate them or get them over that edge of, now nah, we can't do that, or, ah, it's too expensive, or people wouldn't like that? Do you think that, that they would see the advantages of technology, which we're going to be talking about on this show, do you think they would see it a little more clearly if they didn't think of, nah, we can't do that? What are you, what's your observation? I absolutely think so. I think a lot of times when we go in and we, we start to listen to city leaders and we see how they're being... Um, jammed up with politics or they're having issues uh, in and around trying to resolve a problem that is escalating, it can seem impossible. But if you have this mentality that it's not impossible, we absolutely have to change it, we absolutely have to make a difference for the better good, this is a better way to start a project and a better way to look at some of these issues in the fact that it's not impossible, we are going to have an answer and with today's technologies, we will have a solution that can meet the means of most. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Thank you all for your opening quotes. And now let's circle around to Mr. Justin Bean at Hitachi Insight Group. Justin, we'd love to know where you are right now and what you're drinking, if it's interesting. If not, what would you rather be drinking that would make you smile? Sure. Uh, I'm calling in from San Francisco, California, uh, mm -hmm. right up the road from the uh, SAP headquarters in Silicon Valley. Uh, and today, I'm afraid my uh, what's in my cup is not that exciting. It's green tea, uh, but it does remind me of a time when I drank something that made me want to drink something more boring. Uh, I was traveling in Taipei with a few friends, and we went to uh, a night market uh, where we came across the fact that they're offering uh, cobra soup. Uh, and along with this cobra soup 
comes uh, some Cobra blood mixed with wine and uh, Cobra oh. venom uh, mixed with a little bit of vodka. So after drinking that, uh, I think I <laughs> made the made the switch over to uh, to green tea and commitment to keep it keep it pouring from there uh, and maybe not go too far with these these types of things. Justin, I have to tell you, I think it's been over five years I've been producing and hosting Game Changers Radio, spoken to about four thousand people, over a thousand shows, five shows a week. I have heard drinks that you would not, but you know where I'm going with this, kids. Drinks you would not believe, and this is a first. You broke the barrier for the oddest, weirdest. I am sitting here saying, "Give me a glass of water, please." (laughs) Oh my! For you, it's not good. Uh, Oh, soup is basically like eating hamster soup. It's not something you want to get involved in. That's Uh, another one we've never heard. We've we've never heard yeah. hamster soup on the show. You're killing you're well, killing it, Justin. <laughs> you're killing it. You're no, you're killing you don't the. Need to eat it. It's not an accomplishment you need to have. Thank you. And it's not something you need to tell your kids when you're telling the Vince Lombardi quotes to himself. How to say, "Eat this; it'll make you stronger for life." Oh, I I have to move on. Allison, you have to refresh the palate here. We need a palate cleanser. Where are you calling from? I think you may have told us. And what are you drinking? That's palatable, Doctor Brooks. Talk to me. Help me. Help. Oh, well, I'm calling from downtown Toronto, and I'm going to stick with the green theme here. But um, my story and my, my, my drink of the day is um, I have this service that comes to my house, and we call it a smoothie as a service, and it's basically so fast, basically. It's these uh, pre-made sort of kale and orga- organic greens, and they just um, they sit in a, in a uh, uh, cooler on my porch. And whenever I tell, um, and it's for all of the neighborhood folks to come by and just to collect their smoothies, and they're really, really, really healthy, so they will bring you back from Cobra Soup. Um, if you need need to be, but um, all my neighbors um, come by and get their their smoothies for the uh, you know the week on Monday and then on Wednesday again and then um, and 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 then so that's we kind of like a little neighborhood um, co op kind of thing we have going. Every time I tell this story to my American friends, they're always like, "Do you think that's actually safe? Like, is anything going to happen to you?" And and I just it just is safe. So I was thinking about it sort of fitting into this. You know, how do you feel about this from a community safety kind of angle? How much trust do you have in your environment? And, uh, yeah. and, and, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. We have the same thing here with eggs and things as well. There's like a little community egg program that goes, goes around as well. I'm not, I'm not on that train, but um, anyway, so I do smoothies as a service or just-in-time smoothie deliver, d- delivery, and, uh, and I really love them. I th- Listen, James Alfano, no pressure, but th- these are two firsts in all of these shows. We've never had smoothies as a service delivered with a question mark on public safety and whom do you trust. That's the old title of a uh, misworded title of a Johnny Carson game show it was who do you trust? And we kept saying, no, it's whom, it's whom. And we've never talked about Cobra Soup. I don't even want to, th- I can't even say that, Justin. I'm sorry, really upsetting. So James Alfano, you want to give us something quote unquote normal that you love to drink or do you want to join the legion, the, the, the Make it a, a hat trick, a threesome here on odd, odd beverages. Go ahead, James. And where are you? Boston, did you say? I'm in Boston. Yes, I'm in Cambridge um, and <clears throat> at the SAP offices here. And, you know, I got to say, I sound, I feel incredibly boring uh, compared to the, the other two drinks. I am only drinking um, a cup of coffee that is one of my favorites because uh, it's an import from Germany. So to give you an idea, basically, uh, how do I import stuff when I travel or when I go see colleagues in other places? Normally, I bring a few things that I could trade, 
uh, for coffee, and I'm always looking uh, for Chicago, which is a, a fine malde coffee uh, out of Germany, and I can't get it here in the States. So uh, I'm drinking it now, and as I was listening to everybody thinking, this might be my last package of it, and that'll stink. It's my favorite coffee. We- we need to set up a trade group for you. Now, tell me something. What is the name of the coffee again? I want to look it up. It's, it's spelled T-C-H-I-B-O. All right. I'm looking it up. Let's see what we can get here. You did make this a, a, a three, wow, Chibo coffee at Amazon. You can get ah. it. It's at, it's at Walmart. It's at Walmart. It's the complete coffee partner for all businesses. Chibo Coffee, uh, T-C-H-I-B-O hyphen coffee dot C-O dot U-K. Amazon Coffee, all over the place. Here, Chibo is a German chain of coffee retailers and cafes known for its weekly changing range of other products. This includes clothing, household items, electronics, and electrical appliances. Their slogan is, Every Week a New World. Did you know that, James? I did not. I, uh, I've been stuck in this trade policy for quite some time, so <laughs> breaking and by the, the way, market would hurt. I don't want to break, break, it, break your heart here, but the coffee is sold in supermarkets in the U.S., Canada, the Czech Republic, Saudi Arabia, Slovakia, Bulgaria, Romania, Turkey, Hungary, Ukraine, Syria, Israel, Jordan, Russia, United Arab Emirates, Poland, U.K., and Lebanon. So there you go. And it's a new newcomer. It was founded in 1949 in Hamburg, Germany. Very interesting. So you did come along with the other two until I've never heard of any of this that the three of you have have mentioned for your what's in your cup today. So I want to thank you. You you put us into a, a whole new realm of, of the drinkability of whatever our smart panelists are drinking. I am only allowed to have water on radio show days. This is a double header. I already did a show at 10 a.m. this morning on supply chain. So they don't let me anywhere near caffeine. And I think you all know why. If not, you'll figure it out very soon. So I have a green straw in celebration of the beautiful greener outside here, Long Island, New York, on the North Shore. It is raining today. It's drizzling, as the French say, il pleut. However, everything is looking splendid outside. The trees are in full bloom, and the bulbs are up, and the pansies are floating in the little bit of wind, and the daffodils are finally smiling, and crocuses are on the way. So there. So we are talking today about a very serious topic, but a wonderful panel. We're talking about smart cities and public safety technology, monitor, predict, prevent crime. Uh, we have committed three crimes with our drinks today so far, and we're going to stay away from that for the rest of the show. But we're speaking to three experts in this area, a serious topic. We're speaking with Justin Bean, Hitachi Insight Group, Dr. Allison Brooks at IDC, and James Alfano at SAP. And again, a shout-out to Marlon Zelkowitz at SAP for always putting together interesting topics and great panels. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will do a very deep dive into the topic of public safety. How safe is your city, your neighborhood? What are civic leaders doing about it? What do you need to know and what can technology do to bring us into a safer world, a safer future right now? So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly city and local government leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as increased citizen and business demands for digital services, a growing variety of digital devices and sensors causing a data deluge, and increased volatility in politics and environment, coupled with constrained resources. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Game-changing smart cities of the future is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You're listening to Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future. Here we are, and that's the goal, to have every city be a smart city that changes the game in every way for those who live here, those those who work there, those who visit there, etc., etc. With the world's population gearing up for more than 70% of us to live in cities by 2050, and many of us already do. We're going to start out the roundtable with Mr. Justin Bean, Director of Smart City Solutions Marketing at the Hitachi Insight Group. And Justin told me the following in his notes before the show, and here's where we will start. He says public safety must be achieved holistically and over several time scales. These are incident, individual, and societal. Let me read one more sentence here. He says holistically, societies are complex and interconnected. Only approaching public safety from a punishment standpoint will not solve the problem. Let's just stop right there, and I'm going to ask you to explain and tell us more. Justin Bean, please go ahead. Sure, thanks. Uh, so maybe it would be helpful for me to frame it up in terms of the time scales that I mentioned. So when I say that there's these three sort of scales that we need to approach public safety from, the first one is incident. Uh, for the officers, the uh, first responders, and people who are out there putting their lives on the line every day to keep us safe, we need to make sure that they have the best tools and the best expertise and the best coordination and teams to really get the job done and do it safely for them but also in order to catch the people who are committing crimes or uh, neutralize incidents, especially violent ones, as quickly as possible. Uh, and, and that's incredibly important, and the technology can definitely help. Uh, the next one is the individual. So once that person goes to jail, what is to keep them from coming back out and committing the same crimes? Uh, we see, for example, uh, here nearby San Francisco, we have San Quentin Prison, which has uh, I believe about an average recidivism rate of about 65%. Uh, this costs the taxpayers a lot of money. Obviously, it's very dangerous when they get back and reoffend, especially with violent crimes. Uh, a friend of mine works at a, a great organization called Last Mile. And what they do is they teach prisoners the code. Uh, and, and so these prisoners, once they finish up their coding, can go out in the world and they have access to the job market in the Bay Area uh, to be able to get well-paying jobs and provide opportunity for themselves. The recidivism rate with this group is about 7%. That's a massive mm. drop from the 65% average to that 7%. 
you could argue that these are already go-getters who want to go do something different with their lives, but I, I think the, the impact and the magnitude of it speaks for itself. Uh, the, the third level we have is societal. So how do we create a society uh, where someone who today is a two-year-old or four-year-old uh, is not going to grow up and become an offender? Uh, what does that society look like? Uh, and I think it speaks to what we said before, where it's a, a society of opportunity, one that's uh, accessible and inclusive, and one where they are able to to meet their goals and, and feel a sense of opportunity in the world. Uh, but these are all related, and all of them require a combination of technology, policy, uh, and, uh, and knowledge, understanding of what the issue is. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting and intriguing. Alison Brooks, why don't you go ahead? What are your thoughts, please? Well, you know, it was just striking me there, uh, Bonnie, was that there's a bit of like a Rumsfeldian tone to this kind of thing. We know we have our known knowns, our known unknowns, and then our unknown unknowns is that what actually guides us through a lot of these these challenges. And I think that all of these um, various dimensions to understanding the various um, problems in society and particularly for, for public safety are important, and they really do translate into the various workflows and jobs that um, key, key personnel in the public safety realm uh, perform and function. So you're right, there's this notion of, of needing to, um, you know, what, what kind of information and data sources do you need at the scene of the crime or at the site of the incident? What uh, do you need back at the office and what do you need back to translate back to the courts, for example? So the, I think of it slightly in a different kind of continuum kind of a way, but I'm not saying that this is like a, a, a erroneous way to, to encapsulate the issues. I think it's all very important. But, yeah, for me, there's a, what do you know, what, what do you know you don't know, and what do you not know you don't know. Thank you very much. James Alfano, I'd love to get your thoughts on this too, please. Well, I really liked what Justin said when he was talking about the <clears throat> whole idea of re-educating individuals who have come into the system. Um, and it is a very holistic view. It's a point of start to a point of entry and ending. And how you put all that together uh, really depends on, on what your focus is to the problem. Um, there are so many different kinds of agencies that uh, encompass um, public security. When you're talking about policing and law enforcement or you're talking about first responders or, or the justice system. And taking a holistic view of this from the entry point um, during the process and to the end to make cities better or to enable your citizens to do better in the city, uh, I think is key. Um, I like the whole idea about looking at it as a holistic view and then slowly kind of breaking it into pieces for resolution. Thank you very much. Justin, very provocative topic. Anything you want to add to what your co-panelists shared with us on this? Sure. Uh, yeah, I would, I would echo uh, what Alice has said. I think some of the, uh, the questions we need to ask are, how do we move these unknown unknowns into known unknowns? And then next, mm-hmm. how, do we change, how do we move the known unknowns into known knowns? And uh, I think the, the obvious answer is data. Uh, and I think we're in the very early stages of seeing what data can do for us uh, because we're just now uh, starting to gather all the data, deploy sensors, starting to be able to blend and mix data from different agencies and departments. And that's going to be incredibly useful for us to be able to really understand how these problems work, what the causes are, uh, what the factors are that contribute to them, and then to test out the different, uh, test out the different uh, activities and policies and programs that we can put in place that will really combat uh, crime and, and improve public safety. Uh, and that goes across the board with, you know, even things like sustainability, education. So it's a it's a win-win once we start 
sharing this data between agencies and being able to run analytics and, and pull insights out of it. Thank Bonnie, you very much. I'm in for yep. six, six sure. seconds. Um, yeah. You know, it's there, and inevitably there's a time where we all drag Gladwell into this conversation, but we are at the tipping point um, of, of being able to truly harness the vast um, amount and quantity of, of data sources. And we're just, I think we're just starting to be able to make sense of it in a way that is productive. I think, um, you know, previously, in recent times, we really have struggled with trying to integrate and interoperate all of these various data sources. So I think we are at that, that tipping point. Thank you very much. And Allison, I was just going to call on you because I'm looking at your notes here. And here's something I don't think we've covered yet. Let's see. You say, we're just now beginning to leverage social media content to help public safety organizations investigate threats and criminal behavior, but also to communicate with citizens, businesses, and tourists. And that's how I started at saying, do you live there? Do you work there? Are you visiting there? So let's talk about that. Social media, law enforcement, public safety, how do we weave it all together? Tell us more, please, Allison. So it's a really interesting area of discussion, you know, from my perspective. I was at the IACP, so the International Association of Chiefs of Police Conference this last fall, um, and one of the most interesting topics I sort of sat in on was this um, this gentleman out of, I can't remember which, somewhere in California, who really was using social media from a geofencing kind of capacity and, and able to do all sorts of um, investigative and mitigative work in terms of basically, um, you know, screening and crawling through social media feeds for potential, you know, suicide alerts, and then using GPS-enabled data, working with the schools and, and being able to connect directly to that student in the classroom um, who to actually intervene, you know, at the right point and the right time uh, appropriately and with the right resources. I think those are, it's really important because I think we've talked about this a little bit on our pre-call, but... Um, Something like sixty percent of the of the um, calls for service that police respond to, they don't really have to do anything with you know crime as we know it. They're more about um, social distortion, social social issues, and sort of um, you know mental health issues, things like that. Where any number of other skilled um, you know social service or human resources could be better leveraged to attend to that individual in that case, other than police. So we're able to use those social media. Um, um, tools uh, to better intervene and to almost do it from a mitigative um, perspective. But also I think what's really interesting out there, and I've come across this a couple times in, in um, interviews with, say, for example, um, police in, in the Netherlands, um, about how they're actually trying to use that nexus between social, mobile, and the individual on the street to basically deliver more eyes on, on a given crime, whether it's in process, progress or not. So you have to be careful I think that you're not, you know, just going ahead and weaving in your, you know, your citizens into an ongoing, you know, um, violent crime. But you are able to use them to search for, um, you know, a car or, or potentially a person as long as they're able to just, you know, push a button and not, not kind of get involved. So I think that that sort of element of investigations from a real-time situational kind of capacity is under leveraged right now, and I think there's a, a whole bunch of um, different ways that we could we could actually, um, you know, use social and, and in conjunction, as I said, with with mobile to, to get better information faster, and and as I said, to have those kind of like uh, more eyes on the crime. The other way that this actually um, factors into uh, play here is that. You know, my understanding is that now, if you're a, a you know a criminal analyst or a crime analyst uh, investigating something as it's ongoing, basically what you're doing first is searching all of the sources of open information, like 
Facebook and your social media feeds, et cetera, you're, you're gathering as much data from those open sources as possible before actually going to a, a warrant or getting you know some sort of arrest warrant in place. You're, you're leveraging all of those open sources prior to actually um, needing to go through your traditional channels. And I think that's a bit of a game changer um, in terms of how the um, police conduct their, their work on a day-to-day basis. Thank you very much. Allison, so many interesting things you mentioned. Of course, I want to get James and Justin in on this, but I, I want to make a comment. We recently saw the posting of videos of, of murder, at least one murder from somebody who claimed to have committed mm-hmm. several others, and a manhunt mm-hmm. ensued for days. They couldn't find him. And, and this brings up, I think, the question of the responsibility of social media to participate mm-hmm. in this, to allow these, to keep them posted, to notify the law enforcement organizations that we just received XYZ, you have to take a look because it's horrible and we're going to pull it down. Yeah. Any quick comment on that, Allison? I think it's a well, very timely topic. What, what's your thought? It is, it is, you know, and it's, it's a really interesting one because in the end it was sort of your, your, your social media feeds that actually got to the gas station attendant who then, re- or the, the sorry, the, in this case it was the, um, the fast food person, right? And they tried to delay mm-hmm. him with his, his McDonald's order or something as he was going through. And then, and then that was ultimately how they apprehended him. But I think you're right. It's a, that very fine balance between, you know, um, on the one, on one hand, the role of the social media, the Facebook companies out there to, to, you know, to have their own procedures and processes in place to be able to, to respond to that directly. Um, and then I think, you know, we're, we're getting to be at this you know, a new era where basically we're just always on the lookout and we're always on our phones. So there's a certain, you know, level of um, inevitability to being involved in this type of thing on an ongoing basis. So those are my two thoughts that way. Thank you very much, Allison. I appreciate you letting me do the sidebar. James Alfano, love to get your thoughts on this, any or all of what we talked about with Allison. Go ahead, James. Well, I, I think that Allison hit several points. One of the interesting ones uh, that just seems to come to mind right now is is the whole idea about you know how we use sentiment to follow what's going on in a situation, and social media is definitely becoming a bigger and bigger impact, and it's also creating a a better response or a quicker response from from a lot of our first responders. Um, when right now, uh, just recently here in Boston as I'm watching some of the things that they're doing in the area to try to uh, use social media to determine scenarios and situations where police or law enforcement might be critical or where you might need a first responder uh, are the school systems. And mm-hmm. we're watching the school system slowly but surely begin to you know, start to watch sentiment uh, to, to the point of where one young individual coming from my area had brought a shotgun to school and placed it in his trunk. And shotguns are not so uncommon uh, in Massachusetts in the more rural areas, mm-hmm. but they shouldn't be on school property. And the administrators found out that this child was school with a shotgun in his car based on social media uh, feeds that they had picked up, and they literally intercepted the child before he got to the school Mm. and contacted his parents and notified him. Had he gone to the school, he probably would have been suspended, Um, and there could have been other situations that could have occurred with with his weapon, but they stopped it early, and this is just one example of how police are becoming more proactive based on social media. I think that we'll see a lot more of this in the future. 
Bonnie, can Thank I just interject for one second here at the You certainly minute? may. Um, yes. The, one of the things that's actually really interesting in, uh, to me is that this is, a, you know, we're seeing this as, a, as an unprecedentedly important um, uh, role in growing in that in that capacity, and yet it's really the communications officers of the various tri-services, so fire, paramedic, and uh, police that are given the job of actually managing all this. And you know what the, is the first thing to go in budget cuts is that communications officer role sometimes. And so we have to really, I think, work with um, all of these the tri-services to better understand how to manage all this communication because it actually is in their best interest to be able to leverage social media this way. It's much more efficient. So, for example, just to an incident happens in San Francisco, a huge fire, and, you know, they can they can coordinate all of the social media outreach to in terms of what information they have, what, you know, the update of the status of the actual fire, for example, across platforms instantly. And if there is some sort of, um, you know, misinformation out there, it's also equally, um, you know, quick and expeditious to correct that information across those, those platforms. So, my understanding from working with um, the tri-services people responsible for this is they, they think it's a, an, an invaluable tool that helps them to get more information faster to the right people. And, and also, as you, as you might imagine, they actually use um, the social media uh, platform, cross-platform distribution in conjunction with all sorts of things like community translators to get to people in um, you know Chinese communities, for example, or Italian communities mm-hmm. so they can actually work that into their processes. And that's how much forethought is going into using these tools across those tri-services. So I really think it's important to, know, to recognize how much more infi- efficient it makes these organizations and and what's at stake when, when budget cuts mean that that communications officer is, is, is axed. Thank you, Allison. Justin, being you've been so patient, want to circle around to you. Thoughts on social media, public safety, the schools, outing the bad guys and the bad gals who people know about on social and the role of the communications officer. What do you think, Justin? Yeah, I think James said a really important word, and that's proactive. Uh, these technologies allow police to go and prevent crimes from happening in the first place, as opposed to getting there after it's happened and investigating and trying to work backwards into who did it and when. Um, it would be a beautiful world if we didn't have to investigate uh, crimes because we could prevent them before happening. Things like social media, things like predictive crime analytics. Um, and, and then another part of it, which I think is really important, is that often we have these programs that uh, we use internally um, and we, we forget the external communication side. Uh, and so exactly that, communicating with the public, uh, finding ways of making this interactive so that they can help with this. Uh, you know, today, uh, the WikiLeaks, or not WikiLeaks, sorry, Wikipedia founder mm-hmm. launched WikiTribune, which is a crowdsourced uh, and uh, news uh, outlet that shows sources and all kinds of things to combat things like fake news. Uh, so there are other examples of how different organizations are using uh, crowdsourced information to solve challenges that we have. Public safety is, is no different. There are people around uh, all over the place with, you know, massive computing power in their pockets and cameras, and we can use this for evidence and also to alert uh, officials that there is uh, an issue that's about to happen or that just happened and, and solve these crimes faster or even prevent them ahead of time. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm going to pose a, a real-life example to the three of you and see if you have a solution. Recently, there was the sound and quote-unquote sound of gunshots at Penn Station in New York City. I think it was a week ago Friday. People ran. 
literally ran. They left their purses. They left their backpacks. They left their briefcases. They left shoes. They left everything and ran for the hills, which were the escalators to go to street level. No one knew anything. There was no communication. And now there's a question of why don't they have more people communicating? It was a taser. It was a taser that a security officer used to put down, quote unquote, to, to put down to the floor at least, not, not anything permanent, uh, somebody who was a criminal or had been caught doing something illegal at that point in time or somebody they recognized from criminal activity elsewhere. There was no communication. How would a smart city, and New York certainly, I'm a New Yorker, we certainly would love to think we're a smart city, how could we have used some of the technology we're talking about today and the proactivity? Justin, I'm going to start with you to make this a safer experience where it would have been communicated instantly. Don't run. Don't be afraid. There are no guns in active firing. You are safe. How would public safety, how could it be impacted for the positive and that feeling, that sentiment? I think, uh, Justin, you may mention it, sentiment that we are safe. We don't have to scurry. Justin, any thoughts on that? We'll go around the table. Yeah, sure. I, I think it comes back to the interoperability and the mixing and blending of data that we talked uh, about before. If we have the combination of the surveillance cameras in the uh, in the train station, we have communication from the officers, uh, and then are able to tie that to uh, geofenced uh, notifications to people in the area, uh, we're able to, to get them real-time or close to real-time information that helps them to make those smarter decisions about you know, don't stampede. This isn't a shootout. This is a this is a taser. Uh, and, and so, just like we see with uh, Amber Alerts that go out to uh, all of the Android phones that are geofenced around a certain area, I think there's an opportunity to use that for other situations, particularly nearby a dangerous area, to give them the notification of the best exit route, uh, the the best way of uh, getting out of that situation. Uh, you know, go north, don't go south, because that's where the shooter is. Uh, mm-hmm. And in a case like this, this is a you know contained situation. It's not dangerous. Don't worry. Go about your uh, go about your day. And here's a uh, a shot from the surveillance camera or body cam footage or something of what happened, so you know uh, that this is a this is really uh, an issue that's been handled. And I think thank again, you very that, much, that Allison. Go ahead. That plays yeah. into the role of the communications officer in terms of actually verifying the information, right? Because you need to have that trusted source of information, you know, going out as, as expeditiously as possible. But, you know, there, there's a time and place for technology. And then, at, on the other hand, there's also there's officers on the scene that have the information that can be re- relayed real-time as well. So we have to think about that. Um, Justin made a really interesting point about this whole notion of the Amber Alerts being sort of geofenced. I think another thing that actually we need to consider in terms of social media and getting a bigger bang for the buck out there is the, type of, the types of services that you can actually register in, in, in advance. And I, they're, they're lesser known. So, for example, my Facebook feed um, is linked into um, the police services. And basically, if there's an Amber, Amber Alert or some sort of missing person um, notification, they have my permission to go directly to my Facebook feed and publish that out for me. I don't, I don't actually... So mm. anything that you see on my feed that's about, about missing children doesn't actually come from me. And it comes from the, the, um, the sources that are, you know, in the know and um, it, it, they're, they're trusted sources. And the only reason I mention that as being important is that there's been other studies that have shown that sometimes um, people uh, post these things or post sort of fake, um, fake stories like this in order to sort of 
like sleuth out where that that child might be hiding from a parent or you know what I mean mm-hmm. like there's 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 times and yeah. places where it's it's not as you know everything isn't as you see it so you have to be kind of looking to that trusted solution so I wish there was a little bit more proactive use and adoption out there by you know more more citizens and more businesses um, in terms of you know leveraging their own social media feeds uh, involuntarily as it were. Very interesting. That's the first I've heard of that. Interesting concept. James Alfano, love to get your thoughts on using smart city technology for public stampede prevention. Let's just just, just distill it into that. What do you think, James? I mean, I agree 100% with, with how Justin identified using a system to geofence the area to be able to give notifications to the individuals that might be affected by the event. And I also give uh, strong consideration to what Allison said about being able to use additional resources and integrating those to your situation to be able to get the most updated information as possible. It still always kind of comes around having the most effective means and ways. Um, if, for example, in New York you have an individual who uh, it wasn't a gunshot, it was something else, somebody has to validate that somewhere. Um, mm-hmm to make sure that everybody's going in the right direction and, and it, it's the correct information. That's the, that's the point of entry. Um, but all the other things in line are here. Uh, the technology is available. We can do these types of notifications. We can even put sensors in place to listen to the noise to determine if it was a gunshot or somebody dropped a loud book. Um, all of these things could be put together. Some of the things that you see right now also are local areas that put out apps that you apply to and give permission to to get information from, um, especially like uh, airports, train stations that also have the ability to do notification. One of the biggest pieces here is educating and enabling our citizens to know that some of these services are available and uh, to also ask for services that could be available that they don't have. Thank you very much. I'm I'm now at your point in the show, James Alfano. I'm looking at your notes from before the show, and here's an interesting concept. Uh, this is on a very positive note. We've been positive overall, but you say urban resilience is a key theme for smart cities. With more and more people moving into cities, they also become more vulnerable. Accordingly, keeping people safe and protected from disasters, crime, and terrorism is a top priority. You want to talk about Internet of Things and smart lighting. So go ahead. Why don't you introduce these concepts for us, James? Right now what we see, you know, we talked about it earlier in the show that we're looking at larger populations. We're looking at rapid urbanization, people moving into cities, and they begin to cause additional challenges to the city, such as perhaps constrained resources or government complexities due to the population. Um, and you see changes going on. So you see our citizens having new digital expectations. We see uh, a greater need for security and stability. And we're looking at factors in and around security and privacy and some forms of resilience against cyber attacks. A lot of these things can be incorporated in today's technologies with the right technology fits. And often when we're looking at some of the larger problems that we see in our larger urban areas, we're not quite thinking in a simple way to fix that large problem. So I'll give you an example. 
Um, mm-hmm. Some time ago, uh, we, we saw one city do an implementation of sensors for their drains. You know, the, the majority of the citizens in this area were very concerned about flood problems that were occurring, causing damage to the city, causing damage to their property. And as a result, the city simply put in sensors in the drain storms. This allowed them to monitor when the drains were either clogged with debris or they were flowing correctly and were able to send through automation workers to go clear those drains, reducing the effect on the city almost 100% from the next year based on the fact that they were able to maintain these drains in this way using this kind of technology. And it wasn't expensive to the city. It reduced manpower and it focused resources. It was also a way for the citizens to feel better about the city because they were no longer living in flooded areas. We can do these kinds of things with this kind of integration that Allison talked about earlier and using some of the technology platforms that are out there current. And in this way, we can help some of these cities to resolve some of, the, some of the, what they consider a big problem with a simple solution. So think... When they looked at the problem, they thought, oh, my God, my city's flooding. I have all these issues and all these problems. And they came up with a simple solution, simply getting a good technology fit and integrating it into their city workflow so that workers could move this. And the end line result was no flooding. And we're going to see a lot more of this when it comes to IoT or when it comes to video surveillance or when it comes to sound monitoring. All of these types of technologies will help our cities when put in the right situation. Thank you very much, James. You know what? We are having such a good time here. I didn't even look at the clock, and my engineer reminded me, oh, we are technically in the crystal ball predictions round, and I've got (laughs) 60 seconds left for each of you. It's just gone so quickly and such a great conversation. So, Justin Bean, circling back around the table to you and Hitachi Insight Group. Justin, I like the year 2020 because we've been talking about it forever. Think Barbara Walters, 2020, or whoever else said that. And I'd love for you to take a look in the crystal ball at Hitachi Insight and tell us what do you think will change about this topic? Smart cities and public safety technology around that time. I can give you 60 seconds exactly. Justin Bean, go. Sure. So uh, I think one of the big problems that we're facing today <clears throat> excuse me, is that we're data rich but insight poor. So we're starting to generate a ton of data, uh, and many different organizations across the city have data that is extremely valuable, uh, but they're not pulling insight out of it, and they're not sharing it. So I think what we're going to see by 2020 is the capability to make much more sense out of this data with things like artificial intelligence and machine learning that will work side by side with us to give us the insights we need to make those smarter decisions, and then automate a lot of the uh, infrastructure as well as some of the workflow, like James talked about, that tells us what we need to do to solve this problem. Uh, And I think a lot of the technology will help to solve the problem for us. Uh, For example, autonomous vehicles. Tesla saw a 40% drop in accidents for Teslas once people uploaded the autopilot. I think things like that will start happening where we will see uh, public safety ramifications of ordinary everyday technology and privacy will uh, become a part of that issue and we'll solve that through technology with things like automated uh, privacy protection on cameras, but also with IoT at the edge where the processing is happening there and not putting the liability on the government to store all of that data, but instead it's at an edge and then they just get the metadata and and the uh, insights from there. 
Thank you, Justin Bean. I only have 30 seconds for Dr. Allison Brooks. Predict. Go. I think that... uh by 2020, we're going to be looking at even more of a burning platform with regards to the um, sort of the effects of climate change and, you know, drastic urbanization. So I feel like uh, each one of us is going to become more individually and personally touched by um, the need for technology to be um, involved and mediating um, our existing human resources that are that are. being leveraged to, to, to solve these, these issues, but I think that um, it's going to become much more personal for us moving forward. Thank you very much. And 30 seconds for you, Mr. James Alfano. Fast. Go. Veet, veet. Okay. I see, I see, uh, <laughs> I see our cities in, in coming up now with a uniform platform that they can bring together all types of information um, and to be able to look at all that information from one location and to be able to share it. The biggest problem that we see right now is, is, is really in and around the, the ability to share the information between agencies amongst the city so that we all get some kind of common view of what is going on, a good situational awareness. And my thought is that in the future, we will have resolved data privacy issues and we'll be sharing information that's publicly available to everybody and that helps the better good. Thank you very much. I can't thank the three of you enough, Justin Bean, Dr. Allison Brooks, and James Alfano. Wonderful conversation, great insights. Thank you for sharing your expertise and your thought leadership with us. Shout out again to Marlon Zelkowitz at SAP for putting together this very interesting panel. Marlon, this is a topic that we could revisit over and over and over again. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you to Kevin and the Business Channel team. And here's my call to action. Talking about public safety, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, like Justin Bean, like Dr. Allison Brooks, like James Alfano. Talk to you tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern right here on the Business Channel on a new live edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.